You're listening to Life, Death and Sport, the podcast that reveals sports rarely told stories of heartbreak, healing and hope, shining a light on the real and raw issues that are so often kept in the dark. Hosted by Robbie Cornthwaite. Welcome to part two of my chat with Tim Conrad. I've often wondered, what's the process you have to go through to become a foster parent? And what would it be like to be responsible for someone else's kids? Tim speaks about how rewarding the foster care system can be on this episode, but ultimately for he and his wife, it ended up in more heartache. You decided to look at other avenues and, and your wife, Nellie, had previously worked in the foster, uh, foster care system um, and you thought maybe that was a, a good avenue for you guys to sort of go down. My question to you is, as someone who's got no idea of the foster care uh, system and the process, how, how do you first of all apply and, and how are you approved uh, to look after some kids when you don't have any of your own? Yeah, well, look, it, it's funny because we never thought that we'd, we'd be the kind of people that would go for something like adopting or fostering. It's just, you know, uh, I think, like, it had something to do with, like, Nellie's, maybe her, her you know, Cuban background being, like, you know, big family and, you know, um, just it just um, it just never really felt like something that we would go down when we were previously trying. And I had actually mentioned it to Nellie previously, and she's like, I want to, I really want to have my own child and go through the process, you know. And then after everything that happened, we were in a place where it's like, I remember I remember the night we actually decided to take it seriously. We actually went and saw a movie at the Sunset Cinemas. It's a movie called A Good Lie. A Good Lie was about um, fostering and, and, uh, and we watched it and we got in the car and we almost had the same feeling. It was like, maybe there's something to this, you know, and, Maybe we can give our kids a good home that needed one. And um, she she was working in the foster care system, so she knew what needed to happen. We needed what you need to do is you just need to express the fact that you want like looking to be a carer. Mm. Obviously, you you let them know you go through a process um, of like training, you know, full day trainings. Um, you go through interviews saying exactly what you want. You have to be honest about what you want, like the, the, the type of ethnicity of the child, you know, that you that you want to have because you have to be honest with yourself. Like obviously if a, if a, a foster care um, baby had to be brought up a certain way, yep. some of them, some of the babies have uh, ways they have to be brought up mm-hmm. and we wouldn't be the right people for someone to be brought up in, in a way that we don't know how. Yep. So you have to be really really um uh up front and you know so we will we, be first time parents we haven't even had you know uh, kids of our own because a lot of foster care um carers are people that have had kids that are yeah. older and they're just looking to give back and so we wouldn't be able to take on a, a baby that has a lot of needs or, or a child that has um like a high level of disability we just didn't think we had the training for it and we were just we, you know our sole reason for doing this was to make a family and we made that very clear from day one so we did all the trainings, we did all the certifications, and um, going through the process, um, they had a uh, they had some um, a couple of girls in mind, um, and they tried to expedite our training. So um, these um, two girls needed a home, and um, yeah, they <laughs> they um, they expedited our training. We got stuff done as quick as we could, and on um, <laughs> it was a it was pretty cool. Um, we decided that that on the I think it was the two thousand and six December two thousand sixteen um, 
they decided that they were going to place us with these these two girls, and they moved in with us on the sixth of January, two thousand seventeen. You you say there you ended up with with the two sisters, four four year old yeah. and a six year old. What's that experience yeah. like meeting them for the very first time? Uh, it was scary. Um, yeah, I remember thinking to myself like. I was saying, you know, what's going to be the rules with them bathing and stuff? Because they're a bit older, you know. Yeah. Like, and I, look, it's just about what they're comfortable with, you know. Yeah. And um, so I said, okay, fair enough. So we actually, when they when they came to our house the first time, we had um we had some pajamas set out on the bed for them, some new pajamas because we knew they liked them to be frozen, and we got them some frozen pajamas. And um, uh, we got into the room and they saw the pajamas. They immediately stripped naked and put them on. So I think, oh. I guess we figured out how it's going to be. Um, so it, it was uh, the first night. I remember we were just trying to get them to sleep, and um, it was the, obviously the new. It's exciting for them, and, and possibly a little bit scary for them at the same yeah. time, you know. And um, and we just remember them keep coming out to the living room wanting to cuddle, and you know it was it was a really cool feeling. But like you know, I think we got them to bed at like ten thirty that night or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then from from then on in, Nelly's natural maternal instincts just kicked in and she, and she was fantastic with them. Um, when you go into a, a, a scenario like this in fostering, is it, uh, you mentioned the, the fact you have to be upfront and honest. I mean, I know there is absolutely no comparison, but it's the only thing I can think of. When you foster an animal, you quite often say, okay, I'm willing to foster it, but I'll never adopt or I'm willing to adopt. Did you go into this thinking, once I start fostering, these are going to become my children, or did you always have it in the back of the mind that one day you'll have to, you're going to have to give them up? Well, we knew we knew that um, uh, one of the things that we had said is that we're looking for for children that it's very low likely that they'd go back to family. You know, like uh, yeah. um, that's what we had said. We said, look, our, our sole reason for this is to start a family. Like that that's what it, that's what it is. We want you know, obviously we wouldn't want um, to foster some kids that um are still in like uh their parents are still in a battle to get them back it would be like no this is this is this is what it is we knew there was a very very small chance that um that the the natural parents could get them back you know and that was really small so um yeah we we were okay with that and we said we'd have to cross that bridge when we come to it and 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 um so that, that is in the back of your mind, but yeah. like we knew that it was a very small chance for, for these two girls. Over the first sort of four or five, six months, you really started to bond with these two little girls. You started to consider them your daughters after even such a short time. Can, is there any moment in particular that you remember where you, maybe you just looked at them when they were sleeping or, or a moment of when you were playing with them that, that really solidified that, that bond? What I do really, really remember is um, I remember every time I'd get home, they'd run up to me and and yell out, Dad, you know, Daddy, and they'd come and give me a big hug every time I came home. Um, That was like after the first, like, couple weeks of that, I was like, these are are my daughters. These are are mine. You know what I mean? Like, um, And then they just kind of fit so And a lot of it's got to do with the fact that my, my wife's, like, she just maternal like i said maternal instincts just kicked in because obviously that they're, they're kids that have had some trauma so that they've have some they had some some problems that we had to work through um yeah. you know it wasn't all smooth sailing but um the way that that nelly handled them and loved them and took care of all their needs was just like it was it was fantastic it was like she was the she was meant to be a mother and um and you could just see that from day one 
after five months, uh, there was a big shift uh, in the mm. in the family dynamic. Can you talk us through what happened? Yeah. Um, so we, we found out, nearly actually found out that the girls had a had a nine year old brother who was actually living in Wollongong, but in a hotel where, with workers looking after him in eight hour shifts, and and that was his like life. Like he was just he was living. That was his home in a, in a in a certain like a hotel area. And he just had workers looking after him. He he'd had some some um some serious behavioural issues in the previous placement where the where the girls were with him, but he had to be removed from that placement, and um and and separated from the girls. Um, and we found out that he was like almost right up the road. So we decided to say, hey, why don't we set up a little like a visit? You know, like why they can see him for for a night, and if he's and if he's good on the first night, then he could stay for a second, and then. After three nights tops, he, he would go back and we try and just, you know, have a relationship with him and, and to the point where they still have their brother, you know, because I know they, they, would talk, they would talk about him every now and then. Yeah. And um, uh, the first um, respite that we set up with him, um, we had organised it and, um, the you know, the agency we were with facilitated with the, the people that were looking after him in the hotel and um, he, he the, the workers were dropping him off and I noticed that he's got, all of his gear with him like he's got literally everything that he owns with him and i, I said to the worker i said what well, this is only supposed to be for three nights tops well, what's going on here and he goes oh no we were told this is his new home wow and i just said i went well, excuse me yeah and i didn't want to see i didn't want to let him see this conversation so i i kind of stepped aside and, and let nell take the kids for a little bit and um it was yeah, she said to him that, like, yeah, this is his uh, new home, and that's what we were told, and to bring all of his stuff here because he's being, you know, this is his new placement. And we went, oh, no. Like, my first initial thought was, how are we possibly going to tell him now that he's not staying here? Yeah. You know, it's a kid that's not, hadn't had the best start at life. You know, it's obviously got some trauma, and now you've gone and told him this is his new placement, and we're going to have to tell him that it's not. Yeah, that that in itself was. We decided to kind of keep, just not say anything to him at the time, and just wait till we had a meeting with with someone, you know, someone from our agency. And we ended up having a meeting, and we said, look, we said at the start of this uh, this whole process that um, we were not equipped to take on someone with really high behaviours. You know, we we we'd heard and we'd been told some of the stuff that, that we could expect while he was staying at our house. And we we're like, well, if any of that happens, we, you know, that'll be the end of the, the, um, the visit, so to speak. And we weren't, we didn't really weren't willing or trained enough to, to kind of go through that level of behavior from a child. And we, we knew that we were having such a great time with the girls. We didn't want to spoil that either. How, how and, did, um, how did the, the dynamic change um i mean your wife obviously who was so nurturing towards the two girls her role in the house completely changed yeah so what happened was we we were told that you know okay that's fine if you can't take on that you know they said oh that's okay but you know if a, if a placement comes up for something that's willing to take all three of them then we may have to remove the girls so you and felt we like you were backed, backed right into a corner yeah, we, we if, as soon as they said that, we had these alarm bells go off, and we're like, we we just ha- we're having the most amazing time with these two girls. We, we uh, they're my daughters now, you know. That's how I felt, and I'm yeah. like, I, there's no way I'm going to jeopardize losing them. So out of a bit of fear and, and out of a bit of um, 
I guess, I guess, kind of looking at it, the fact that you know Nelly wasn't working at the time because she quit our job to be a mum, and um, you know we all we did was see a young a young man who needed some help, and um, we couldn't say no to that. We couldn't put more trauma on him by saying this isn't your new home. Sorry, you got to leave. So we just ended up taking him on, and and um, and the dynamic shift was just that from that moment on. Um, almost everything was about him. You know, we had to try and figure out, you know, how to how to deal with the behaviours he was displaying and and all the uh, all the therapies that he was required to go to. Um, and it was just pretty much the girl. After in the next, you know, uh, four or five or six months, everything was just about him, and then it was taking a toll on our relationship. It was taking a toll on our marriage and it was taking a toll on the girls. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, even though we had some really good times, don't, I'm not going to lie. It was some really good times and he is, he was a sweet boy. Um, we had, um, just, it wasn't, um, it's just, everything was just, was at him. We'd have arguments at night about what to do, you know, and, and, and how to, uh, to help him and, you know, different ideas and, and the girls were failed. Were girls were being neglected in the process. I know during this time, you and your wife um, had another round of IVF, and and maybe some of the things that the little boy was saying were uh, were quite scary. Yeah, we because um, we'd uh, we'd been had like such a good time. We did have some uh, good times with all three of them. Like we, it was times where it was really really clicking, um, and uh, because of uh, this. The hard work that Nell was putting in, um, you know, she taking taking uh, the their their brother to to every appointment, to to every therapy. I think he had about five therapies a week that he had to go to, and that included homework that he had to do. Um, and she was just dedicated to making sure he got everything he needed. He actually he did start to turn a bit of a corner, and um, we started to get a little bit clucky about having our own. I know that we we told the girls about what was. You know what we'd done in the past, and and they were they were excited about having a little baby brother or sister as well. Yeah, perhaps a little naively, but you know it was what we wanted at the time. We decided to try another round of IVF, and um, that was in October of uh, 2017. And um, yeah, we ended up uh, yeah we ended up not um, that one failed as well. Well, after about yeah. eight months. Um, with this little boy in your care, as long as well as the two the two girls, you decided that it was time for for him to to go in in a in a roundabout way. Um, things weren't working. Um, how how difficult was that to to sort of to make that call that um, you know you're going to have to give him up? That was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, I was looking at it from the outside in. Uh, well, not from the outside, but just looking, taking a step back and looking at what's actually happening. Um, the girls had started to, you know, uh, our oldest girl in particular started to go backwards and have behaviours. Um, um, the time that, that Nell was just under the pump with all of the different activities, taking them to taking them to the things that they wanted to do, like, you know, dance and gymnastics mm. and, and karate. And then on top of that, like on top of all the therapies and, it was just, it was almost like a, um, she was just constantly on the go, constantly alert. She was just tired. You could see it in her, 
she was just tired and then being up all night you know it's just i could see that she was starting to lose some of that some of that spark that she had when we just had the two girls and um in that last few like the last month that he was with us um his he started escalating on another level saying some horrible things about the the ivf baby and um and stuff that really just kind of chills your bones and and he was escalating a lot um and so i just had to go into the agency and said look i we just can't do this anymore this is taking a toll on our relationship this is taking a toll on our marriage this is taking a toll on 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 the two girls and you know i had to just make a call that he couldn't stay with us anymore when you signed and obviously yeah that, that was met with some resistance yeah. Um, at first, but I just said, oh, it's just, we can't do this. Like, and you're, you're almost forcing us to do this and, and we're not equipped and, and we're not in a place in our lives where this is something we can do. When you signed up to, to be a foster carer, did you ever think you'd be involved in a situation such as this one? Not at all. I thought when we first got the, the two girls, this is what it's all about. This is, it was so good. It was so, it was such a, um, like just a just a fit. It just was like it, it would just seamlessly fit, and it was so good. Um, and then you know, like I've, I've obviously I still love all three of them, um, but it's just at that point in our lives we just didn't have the time and the and my wife did not have the energy to to go through what she was going through, and um, you could see how it was taking a toll on things, and, and I had to make a call. Some sometime after that. You and your wife decided to, to use the final two eggs and try one last time uh, for IVF. Yeah. There was some... So when... Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You, no, you sorry. tell the story, mate. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> mate. Um, we, um, obviously, the, the, the brother left our, our care and, um, you know, I think it was uh, December um, uh, 2017, I want to say. And, um, yeah, and um, we... Uh, for a, period, for a small period of time, we were like, um, you know, obviously feeling a little bit upset about what had happened, but at the same time, um, we really started to click back with the girls again, and we had um, nearly actually took all three of them when they were to America to meet uh, her family, and um, and she did all that by herself because um, I had to stay home. Yeah, um, yeah all three of them on a, on a 20, 30 hour flight time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Um, and then after, when, when it was just us and the girls again, we really got back to being ourselves again. And, and um, you know, with all the activities and everything, it, we just moved into a new home as well. And um, it was uh, it was like we were on cloud nine again, and we thought that it might be time to uh, try IVF again. Um, and it was... Uh, we'd, uh, we'd read the legislation um, that, you know, if you've had multiple failed attempts... Um, uh, of IVF, then with this certain company, you could uh, do two embryos because Australia doesn't usually do multiple embryos, they just do one IVF each time. So we had two left in the bank and we decided to pull our, all our leftover eggs in one basket. So yep. um, I think it was uh, May 2018, um, we decided to give it another go. And, uh, and this time it was a little different. We were in such a good place. We just we were like we just went on a, f- a holiday to Fiji and took the girls and had an amazing time and 
um, we come back just you know, feeling good. And I'd had a, I got a two-year contract. You know, everything was really starting to starting to click again, and we were starting to feel like ourselves again. And, and it was just like a really good time in our lives. And then we decided this is it. This is when we got to do it. You know, we're in the best place we've been in a long time. And um, we, uh, yeah, we made May 2018. We we put two embryos in, and um, and our little man Tyson was the one that held on. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the you can hear the joy in your in your voice there. Obviously, after such a, a long long journey for one of those eggs to to work out, and um, as you say, you've got a, a 16 month old son now, Tyson. Um, I mean, I don't want to. I want to get back to Tyson. I just want to go back to the two girls. If we can, yeah. because while he was, um, you know, while your wife was pregnant, um, she was about four or five months pregnant. Mm. One of the one of the most devastating things probably that's ever happened in your life uh, occurred when when the two girls that you'd had in your care, you consider them to be your own daughters. They were they were basically removed from uh, from your care. We were um, just taking um, our eldest uh, to because the whole time um, that. You know, when you have foster care kids, they, they have healthcare reports and stuff that, that as carers you need to do and um, stuff that the agency needs to do. And it had been on her healthcare report every six months since we'd had our eldest that she needed some trauma counselling. And um, the our agency just wasn't setting it up. We didn't have the power to set it up because we didn't we didn't have the guardianship. Obviously, the guardianship falls with the, with the uh, the foster care agency. And um, we decided just to take her on a visit to one to see if she liked it. And we were just about to take her to school. We were having a little, she had the visit and we were having a little date with her, me and wife, some, some special time. And um, uh, we got a call uh, from Family and Community Services that they needed to meet with us um, at our house. And I thought, oh, okay. So I took our eldest to, to school and then went back home um, and family and community services, these two women were at our door and they were talking about some, they started chatting about some stuff that um, that their uh, their brother had said uh, about us and um, about uh, alleged things that we'd been doing. And um, after just like arguing pretty much for a couple of hours about this stuff is just false, this stuff, this is not true. We, we didn't know what to say. That this, some of this stuff is just not true. And um, they decided that they were going to take the girls out of school without us knowing. My mum was actually going to pick them up because we were in this meeting, and um, she had come back home in tears, saying that they'd already been taken and she didn't know what was going on. And um, so that was uh, that was on August twenty second, two thousand eighteen. Um, the family and community services decided to remove them from us. After everything you'd been to uh, through, how how big a kick in the guts was that for you, and and, and what have you done since to, to try and get them back, or to uh, I'm not sure what what avenues have you got to sort of appeal, or what is what's the process? We went down we went down every avenue, um, and for this to come at a time when my wife was pregnant, and um, having the having the girls go through the experience uh, with her was so so much fun. And the whole thing about foster caring is that you're supposed to be able to work together. You're supposed to work together as carers. You're supposed to work together as a foster care agency. And this completely blindsided us. We had no idea. We'd been approved as, as carers. Again, you have to get reapproved all the time. We had been reapproved as carers. We got, you know, 
permission granted to take him on the Fiji holiday. You know, there was no, I had no idea. We had no idea that anything like this was about to happen. And, um, and all of a sudden it just happened. They just, they just swooped in. It wasn't even any process. There wasn't even any saying, Hey, you guys are doing some things. We need to have a chat. You know, it was just, they just took them. And my wife was telling me that, that they can't do this. This is not the process, you know? And, um, um, we, she, we, she, we fought tooth and nail for them, spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to get them back. And, um, at the end of the day, the, the, the foster care system is something that this every country needs. You need to have a foster care system. It's an important thing to have. But for some, but I feel like our one is a little bit broken. It's not the right way. It should, at least in my experience, it's not the right, right way you need to look at things. And the I, I really struggle to feel what would happen if we didn't have Tyson at that point in time. If that IVF round had failed, I do not know where our relationship, I don't know where our marriage, I don't know where we'd be as people if we didn't have the pregnancy at the time. And, um, uh, you know, it's, we just, I remember thinking to myself the other day, I was looking at, I was, you know, thinking about having a chat with you and I remember, look, watching a now seven, eight months pregnant up till 2 a.m. in the morning with documents spread out on the floor of our bedroom you know, going over everything that we needed, um, writing 60-page, 70-page, you know, affidavits and just constantly working to try and get them back, not resting one second mm. and talking to lawyers, talking to um, different lawyers and, you know, just the the childcare or the childcare system is just different than, than regular stuff, you know, and... And we went through process after process, and one of the one of the processes you have to go through is you have to have an interview by an, an independent party. And after chatting with them for three hours about what was going on, they said they said to us pretty much, "Look, you guys are amazing parents, but you're not good foster carers." And what was that? <laughs> they had said that you're not supposed to treat you know the girls like they're your own. Wow. They're not your own. And one of the things that really kicked me in the guts every time is during this process of having meetings, I would always refer to them as my girls. Yeah. And they would always correct me saying they're not your girls. Wow. And that every time that just made my blood boil. And um, and they need to, I don't think they realize that they just have no idea what we've been through together since, and how happy they were. Since they were taken from you, um have you had any contact with them whatsoever? Are you, legally, are you allowed to see them? No, we, we're not. Um, we got to have a an hour visit to say goodbye. Um, they, we, I asked for that at, at least. Could you just please give us that? Because we had not seen them since they, that day that they were moved. Um, the first night, we got to phone. We got to have a phone call with them. And they said, for their best interest, let's just say you had to go. To, you had got called away to work, both of you. So and, these these you know, kids are going to believe that they were they were abandoned, basically. Pretty much. What was that? What was that? Know. What was that? I mean, can you even put into words what was that hour like to say goodbye? It's a mixture of emotions. Um, really anxious, waiting for them at the park. They were meeting them at, um, seeing them when they got out of the van 
and seeing how like nearly always used to really do their, their hair really nice they always used to you know one thing that they, she was really like they were girly girls and she loved that and um they were like they just didn't look like this the same yeah. they looked they looked drained of a, of a little bit of life and um you know, you know, I could be just seeing that from from a bad perspective, you know, because of you know the, what we've gone through. But that owl was like, uh, I just didn't want it to end. Uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to let him go. I don't know how. The most scariest part is would have been having to say goodbye to him and knowing that it's probably going to be the last time that I'm going to get to see them. And as a as a as a as a father to them. Um, you start to think about the day that you're going to walk them down the aisle and stuff like that. You yeah. Know? And I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to see them again. Do you hold and, um, Do you hold hope that when they get older, I'm not sure what sort of the legal age is for them to make their own decision, that they may seek you out? Yeah, we do. We, um, we're constantly um, – we still have photos of them up around the house. We um, – we still have photos and memories of good times. I'm staring at photos right now as I as I speak to you, and um, I just uh, you know, if anything, I just wanted to know that we didn't we didn't abandon them. We we still love them more than just as much as we love our own son, and and we will never we'll absolutely never forget the time that we spent with them. It was it was amazing, and um, they were really good girls, um, and I just. Uh, it just—it makes me sick that something like this could happen. You obviously had been through a lot, um, in particular the miscarriage with the ectopic pregnancy while you were in Melbourne. When you lose a child, you get a lot of support. People rally around you, whether it's a miscarriage or or not. When you lost these two girls, which you considered to be your own, was there any support for you, or was it basically, you know, as the the independent interviewer said, "These are not your kids. Basically, just just move on. M- move on." It was a it was a, it was a quiet support. I think when people see it's a, it's a foster care issue, they're reluctant to get involved. Um, we had set up a GoFundMe page to help with some of the, um, the the legal fees, which people were extremely generous for, and I'll I'll be forever grateful to the people that gave anything to that because um, that helped us out a lot. Um, you know, with the cost of lawyers and everything like that, and um, it all went to a good place. Um, but um, the the support you get is the quiet kind because there's a lot of uh, there's, a, there's a lot of stigma around it. Like, I mean, essentially, where you know people are looking at us that we've just had two foster girls removed from our care. They're like, "Well, what did you do?" And you have to walk around with this kind of shadow that you did something horrible. When we know, when anyone that knows us, anyone that has any idea who we are, know that we're not capable of doing anything that would have them removed from anyone that saw myself or Nelly with the girls knew that we were nothing but loving, loving, loving to them. Gave them everything they needed. Took them to every activity. Gave them everything that we could. I know. Um, I know we haven't touched. I know we haven't touched on it, and you haven't mentioned it yet. But there, there was a change in legislation. Um, around the rehoming of, of, of foster children that may give some clue as to why they were taken away? Yeah, look, at the time there was um, a new legislation that said that if the foster care agency restored um, uh, 
the the kids to a, a next of kin and which which didn't have to be related anymore um that obviously the, the foster care would, that agency would get a lump sum of money and so would the uh the next of kin that took them on and um usually when you go through a replacement process there's a lot of things that have to go into it there's a lot of um you know visits and then coming back and then visits and coming back and that takes time and money but if you can remove kids based on allegations, then you don't have to go through that process. You can just take them straight from the family. And I think that I've got an, I've got a feeling that that was part of the reason why they were taken. And there was a lot of stuff that I know that I've seen. I've seen documentation that's just not true about what's been happening. And, um, you know, a, it makes me it makes me sick that people are capable of something like this. But you know, like it, I reckon that's got at the end of the day, it's got stuff to do with the uh, um, with money, and money shouldn't be an issue when you're talking about kids' futures. After everything you've been through, mate, um, we did mention earlier you did have some some. I mean, I don't even want to use the word happy because it's probably a hundred times that feeling. You finally had a, a baby boy in 2019, Tyson. Can, can you just describe, after everything that's happened to you and your wife, what, what that moment was like? You know, I, I, I think about this a lot, you know, and I, he was just, he's an absolute, I don't want to put pressure on the kid, and obviously he doesn't know, <laughs> know it now, but he's an absolute saviour for us. Um, you know, you mentioned before, was there a moment with the girls when they were sleeping or something like that? But when I look at Tyson when he's sleeping, I just think of how important he is for our for our health, for us as 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 a husband and wife. And he he saved us. He was we were in a place. If we hadn't had him, we might have been in a place that we couldn't come back from. And um, he was the day he was born. On the obviously, you never forget the birth of your first child. You know the birth, the birth of your first child. And um, I, um, I just remember holding him because Neil had a had a very rough, <laughs> a very rough, um, a great pregnancy, but a rough um, labour. And um, it went on for for a couple of days, and um, uh, ended up, you know, being rushed in for an emergency cesarean. And, and sh- uh, after I remember, I got to spend like a, about an hour with him by myself just doing some skin to skin while Nell was um, in recovery and um, I remember just looking at him and just like, thinking about everything that happened and, and thinking that you know through all this craziness I finally got the thing in my arms that I've wanted for over a decade and I just it's just no there's, there's absolutely nothing that's going to tear me away from this this is it's just—it's an unimaginable feeling, and uh, and it was the, it was the best day of my life. How do you think it's shaped you, your journey as as a father? Do you think it's given you more patience or perspective, or I mean, is it? I mean, it's hard to say, but do you think it, this whole journey has made you a better a better dad? I hope so. Um, you're always trying to be a better dad. You know, you can you should never stop trying to be a better dad. Um, but it's um, it's just made me look at things a little different, and unfortunately, it's start, it's looked at like what people are capable of if if you rub them the wrong way, you know. Um, I uh, I always think that a lot of people ask, like not a lot of people, but I get asked every now and then, you know, is there still 
other avenues you can go down to try and get you know, girls back. And um, and we had pretty much been told to stop because they had flagged us as possibly being mentally unstable or, men or some, not mentally unstable, but some sort of... They had flagged us as being, like, obviously people that had foster care kids removed. So yeah. there was a hint that Tyson might be on a, on a, on a flag, like on a... We got hinted uh, in one of our meetings that you know you need to worry about Tyson now because wow. you know you've had you've had foster care. We were, we were still in the process of trying to re-establish a relationship with the foster care agency. Yeah, and we we're in a second meeting, um, and they pretty much said you need to worry about your own now. Forget about the girls because if you keep going down this route, you're going to keep getting you know on the under the skin of family and community services, and and you know it's um it's not going to work out well for you and. That was pretty much the reason why we had kind of stopped trying to fight because we were worried that if we went too hard that Tyson might be in jeopardy one day. And I know that's pretty unrealistic and I think that a lot would have to happen for that to for that to go about. But it was pretty much the a fear that kind of stopped us and just you know, you just I know a lot of people might think that, you know, you've got your own son to worry about now, so, you know, um, just you should just move on, but you just ask yourself the same question: If you had two daughters that were taken from you and you had another son, you wouldn't give up on the two daughters still. Yeah. So it, it's it, it, that's how I feel, and um, the only reason we don't really have any other avenues to go down, and um, the only reason we had stopped is because we were a bit afraid that of what we might get into if we kept going. When it's all said and done, um, do you think you'll try again? after everything you've been through the pain and the hurt and 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 everything with the foster children one would you um try ivf again or or do you do you want to have more kids yeah i do i want to have i want to have a lot of kids need more life but we want to have a little tribe um the only way unfortunately when um going into our uh, our second last attempt um, my wife had to have her second tube removed because it wasn't looking good. And if the second tube wasn't looking good, then any IVF attempt might be uh, under jeopardy. So um, the only way for us to fall pregnant now is through IVF. We, we can't fall pregnant naturally because my wife has lost both of her tubes. Um, and, uh, and just another surgery to add to the dozens of ones she's had already. And um, so we, we are, we're in the process right now that... Um, that um, we're waiting for Nell to, to get her period again because she hasn't had it since Tyson. And, um, you know, we, we'll have a discussion after that on how we want to move forward. Well, Tim, I've got to say a massive thank you. I mean, it's been incredible strength for you to come on here and, and tell everyone your story. I mean, everyone knows you as a basketball player, and I'm, I'm sure some know you for, for everything you've spoken about here today, but I hope that you sharing your story can help not only everyone else, but hopefully it gives you some uh, some help as well, uh, sharing and, and voicing um, you know everything that you've been through. So, Tim Conrad, I thank you very, very much for coming on Life, Death and Sport. No, I appreciate it. Look, and like you said, this is all about just hopefully anyone that hears it knows that, you know, it's... Uh, you're not alone if you're going through the same sort of stuff. There are people out there going through who we found going through this whole process that have been done wrong by as well, and uh, people that are going through, you know, just trying to start a family. And it's one of the most important things. I mean, essentially, we're here to <laughs> to procreate, you know, <laughs> and um, and it's uh, it's the best thing in the world. And, and um, if anyone's going through 
some sort of trouble, um, you know, just know that you're not alone and that people are going through this all around you. Absolute pleasure having you, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Life, Death and Sport. Unlike sport, in life, there is no playbook. And I want you to know that however you feel, it's okay. Thanks for listening to Life, Death and Sport. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming interviews and connect with Robbie Cornthwaite on social media. Links are in the show notes.